There's a Hebrew word, avodah, from which come the words work and worship. To the Hebrew man, his Thursday morning activities were just as much an expression of worship as being in the synagogue on the Sabbath. Nothing in scripture depicts the Christian life as divided into sacred and secular parts. Rather, it shows a unified life, one of wholeness in which everything we do is service to God, including our daily work, whatever that may be. Now that quote comes from a book Dan Miller wrote, 48 Days to Work You Love. I'll swing back to it in a bit. For the past few talks, I've been discussing this idea of your spiritual gifts and your created design. And uh, for the sake of just ease of communication, you remember that that word spiritual gifts, like we typically think of it, it doesn't actually appear in the New Testament in that way. It, it's really kind of more uh, nebulous and more dynamic. And so you might want to listen to the previous talk. In this one, what I want to do is I really want to help you understand the, those gifts. There it is. I'm using a singular term, even though the scripture doesn't do that. But, but I want to help you understand what they are, just like I've done in the previous two talks. And by now, you're probably recognizing places where you've seen those gifts in action. Now, it's, it's also helpful to articulate when we're defining what something is also to articulate and define what it's not. Now, I think it's more important to look at what it is, but in this instance, somehow looking at what it's not, it's going to help us land on really defining what it is. So in this talk, I wanna make four observations as to what these expressions of the Holy Spirit moving through us, moving through me, moving through you, are not. That's gonna help us set some guardrails in place, ensuring that we can stay focused on our mission as we move forward. So here's the list of what they're not, and then I'll talk through each of these just one by one by one. Spiritual gifts, first of all, are not the same as your creative design or natural talents. Number two, spiritual gifts are not the same as title, position, or a role that you have. Number three, spiritual gifts are not confined to the four walls of the church, or even to, get this, ministry in the formal sense. Number four, spiritual gifts are not instances in which the Spirit takes over and controls you. So let's walk through all four of those. First of all, spiritual gifts are not the same as your created design. Now, we discussed that in a previous talk. Remember this, your created design, that came when you were physically born, your, your first birth, and you receive your supernatural spiritual gifts at your second or your spiritual birth. Now, spiritual gifts are not the same as natural talents, though they probably will work together with your personality type and your natural abilities. And as I was rewriting and working and drafting and tooling the LifeLift book from which these talks are taken, I, I shared parts of the manuscript with several friends, and they would ask me questions like this. They would say, well, wh why didn't you include the passage Romans 12 in the chapter about spiritual gifts? Doesn't that passage speak about spiritual gifts? Well, Romans 12, 6, it actually says this, having then gifts, there's, there's a word, having gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. Well, by now, if you've been listening for the past few talks, you, you might recognize what's happening here. The word gifts, it isn't actually there. Our translators supplied it. The term is actually charismata, that is grace effects. So what Paul is saying, having then grace effects differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use those grace effects. Now that's the word we saw earlier. I think it was talk 15 in the series when we discussed the spirituals and grace effects and the appointments that were all outlined in Romans 12.1. 
Paul also used that term to, to you know, get this, to refer to Israel's election in Romans eleven twenty nine when he writes that the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. In other words, throughout the New Testament, this word most often does not refer to spiritual gifts. It refers to something that God pulls us and includes us in relationally that he promises not to take away. Now, other people ask me, well, you know, what about Ephesians 4? Because Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, and Ephesians 4, they seem to be the go-to passages for finding about spiritual gifts. Now, I've already referenced all of those verses in these talks, as well as 1 Peter 4, 8 through 11. There are two reasons primarily, though, that I didn't include either of those passages in this talk and in this, really, this chapter that I've taken it from uh, in the Lifelift book, chapter 17. Here it is. First of all, these passages, Romans 12 and Ephesians 4, they both predominantly deal with something else. Ephesians 4 refers to people as gifts, to the equippers, the equippers of the saints for the work of ministry. The scripture says that Jesus gave some people in order to help other people find their gifts and calling. Like That's the primary responsibility of leaders in the church. Uh, so those are equippers. They are the gifts. Uh, I discussed that in talk number 13, where I actually said, are you a gift or are you gifted? Are you one of those gifts or do you have gifts? Um, thus far through Romans, Paul has argued also when we get to the Romans passage that Israel did not follow their created design. They did not follow, according to Paul, what they were supposed to do to be a light to the world. And he says, now we've been grafted into that story. So the, the gifts and calling of God to Israel, irrevocable, they're still called, but now he's called us and moved us into that story, not to replace them, but to join them. Okay, so that's the first reason I didn't include Romans 12 or Ephesians 4 when we're talking about uh, spiritual gifts. I, I really said one of those refers to created design, that's Romans 12. The other one refers to the equipping gifts, that's the Ephesians 4. Now, the second point is this, I, I mentioned this in a previous uh, talk, and I, I write this all throughout that book, is I believe this gift list what we would call the spiritual gift list, I believe it's open-ended. I, I don't feel burdened to provide a summary list and catalog a tidy list of all the gifts because here's what I've chosen to do is to work from a relational point of view and to use our working definition of what spiritual gifts are to determine how they're being used uh, rather than allow a list to dictate the expression of what the Holy Spirit might do through you. And the reason that I do that is because when you look through the scripture, there is no singular tidy list. And, and I would think that if there was just a list that is a closed list, that with all the information we have in the Bible about spiritual gifts, Paul, Peter, someone would have been very careful to make sure that we had that list. And the bigger issue is not necessarily the list, the bigger issue is walking in relationship with the Holy Spirit, allowing that in spirit to, to move through you, to express himself through you as you reach out and express the heart of the Father to the world that's around you, whether that's inside the church, outside the church, at your job, in your family, some kind of other vocation you have that might not be a career, wherever you are. So whatever the case, and wherever you fall, Theologically, on the Romans 12 issue and the Ephesians 4 issue, that is whether you believe that those verses refer to spiritual gifts or created design, 
The bottom line is this. You're born with a unique bent, and the spirituals arrive much later when you're born again. Okay? Therefore, your created design is not the same as your spiritual renovation. All right, that said, let me go to point number two. The second point is this. Spiritual gifts are not, not the same as title or position or a role that you have. You can be gifted and not have the title, or you can have the title, the title only, not having the empowerment from God to actually do the job. Now, ideally, you can find a role where you can use your gifts, so both of them will, will fit together. Th this is one that tripped me up big time. After I felt the Lord nudging me to be an equipper, let me use the language that I just used from Ephesians 4. He gave some to equip the saints for the work of ministry. This was when I was in college. I redirected my energies from pursuing a career in law to navigating the terrain towards seminary. Now that meant shifting a few classes my final year of college, and it meant not studying to take the LSAT, which is the entrance exam commonly used for applying to law school. Instead, I took the GRE and I applied to grad school. I earned my Master of Divinity from Baylor University, and then I began working at a new church just a few weeks later. And in fact, that final week of seminary, I actually commuted back and forth from Houston to Waco a couple hours the final week of school as I completed my exams. Uh, even riding the Greyhound bus uh, one time to do that. Now, soon thereafter, I moved to Birmingham to work in another church. I had a title. I had an actual office. I had a working telephone, not just a cell phone. I had the kind of phone that plugs into the wall, that has a voicemail and an answering machine. That's how long ago this was. I had bookshelves where I could set my things. And then eight years into it, I shifted gears and I began working in a faith-based nonprofit. Uh, I was still operating in my gifts, but I had a different title. At that point, I still had an office, though, like, like a physical location. And I had my name in a small frame placard by the door where you would walk by and you could see, oh, this, this, is, this is my office and here's my title. And, you know, you could knock on the door. You could make an appointment. You could come in there and sit down and we could, we could talk. Five years into that, Due to some success in a home-based business, I was able to step away from working in a full-time ministry position completely. I no longer had a title. I no longer had a formal role. I no longer had a desk or shelves. No longer had my name on anything. At that point, I actually started officing more from the kitchen table, which is exactly where I am now. Different kitchen table now because I've moved uh, several times since this happened, but was officing at a kitchen table, which is what I'm talking to you from now. Now, I'll shoot straight with you. Uh, right now, I don't have a title. I don't have an actual, you know, quote, job. Um, and while the transition was something that needed to happen, I was working at the time 70 or more hours per week, and my family was walking through several crises. It needed to happen, but, but I found myself depressed with the transition. I'd worked in full-time ministry roles at that point for forever. Now, without a title or a position or a formal role, who was I? It, it took me about a year to figure it out, but I finally settled it. I am still me. The gifts remain. The calling never left. And, and though I don't lead in a church any longer, I actually have a bigger platform and a wider audience. I, I now have the opportunity to do things I never had the time or mental space to do when I actually had a formal position. You see, Proverbs... 1816, it tells us this, your gifts always make room for you. 
Yeah, that's my translation. But maybe go look up Proverbs 18, 16 and just compare several translations where it always says the deposit that the Lord has put inside of you, that will always make space for you to do your thing. That, mean, that means you don't need a title to walk in your gifts. In fact, the opposite is true. I've seen people who have titles who clearly don't have the gift mix by which they've titled themselves. And not too long ago, for instance, I met a self-proclaimed apostle uh, and a self-titled evangelist and a teacher. Uh, they had a prophet and they had a pastor. In fact, they referred to themselves, there are five of them, they referred to themselves as a five-fold team. Leading a small church, less than 75 people, they actually used the phrase fivefold more than they used the word Jesus. No exaggeration. Now, full disclaimer. These are gracious and gentle and kind people. They're well-intentioned, but they're clearly trying to title gifts and walk in roles they don't have. Now, how do, how do I know that they don't have those gifts? Quite simply this, there's no fruit. You see, the titles aren't the gifts and the gifts aren't the titles. The two are mutually exclusive. Now, it's beautiful when the roles and words we use to express what people actually do when they collide and we're able to understand everyone fully, but that doesn't always happen. And when it doesn't, the gift trumps the title every time. Now, in another talk, I'm going to provide you with five specific questions that you can ask yourself in order to gauge the gift mix that you feel might be operating in your life. So title or no title, you might look at those five questions and they'll help you navigate through. We'll come back to that uh, later on. So just table that for right now. Let me move to the third point of this talk. The third point is this. Spiritual gifts are not confined to the four walls of the church, and they're not even confined to ministry in the formal sense. Spiritual gifts, they work everywhere you go. They're expressions of the Holy Spirit loving the world through you. Now, sure, the gifts are certainly for the building of the body of Christ. We see that in Ephesians 4, in that Ephesians 4, 11 and following passage, where he gave some to be apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry until we all grow up into the full measure of Christ. So they, they are for the building of the church. That's one of the reasons the equippers exist, again, is to equip the saints for the work of ministry in order to first build the body of Christ. So emphatically, yes, you should use your gifts at church. Sometimes in the church, though, we equate full-time ministry with more spiritual work. And we equate full-time anything else with less spiritual. Or we even relegate the things that we do at the church building as being more valuable than what we do away from the church building. In doing so, we create a false dichotomy. It's a hierarchy the Bible doesn't actually espouse. Now, thankfully, the church is swinging the pendulum back to the middle, uh, upholding the truth that people can be called to do all sorts of things. That, that is, a teacher, like in a school, could be just as called as a pastor at a church who could be no more called than a fireman who could be just as called as an evangelist. Now, remember Christ in you, that term that Christ actually lives in you for you to live as Christ, Christ in you goes with you everywhere you go. So for you to live like Paul, for you to live is Christ, according to Philippians 1.21. You carry his presence. The gifts work everywhere you find yourself, meaning you can use them in the marketplace, at school, your home, in your neighborhood. A few years ago, I taught about healing at a church on a Sunday morning. At the end of the service, we invited people to come to receive prayer. If they had a physical issue, they wanted to see remedied. I was actually speaking about physical healing. 
And after praying for a few dozen people, I noticed a young woman who wanted prayer. What, what can I do for you? I asked. That, that's really my customary way of greeting people who come for prayer. I don't assume anything. Well, I feel like God wants me to heal people, she said. She, did, she didn't want physical healing. She wanted to heal. But when she said it, she said it reluctantly as if she was holding back something. Well, tell me about yourself. I said, what do you like to do? I'm about to finish school, she replied. I'm in college. I got a family and I've been working on my degree for a few years. We've all made sacrifices so that I can finish, but I feel like I'm supposed to be healing people with God's power with this touch. Now, she explained that she was ready to work and that her family desperately needed the income. Her husband had been working two jobs to keep the family afloat during her schooling season, and her young children had hardly seen her. At the same time, though, she felt this tension between doing what God called her to do and having just taken a costly run at college for a few years and now needing to help with the family finances. After hearing her story, I asked her, I said, well, what's your degree? Nursing. Nursing? I replied, do you enjoy it? She told me she did, but somehow she felt like she was supposed to be healing people. Well, does it feel like toil when you do the nursing, I asked, or, or does it feel energizing and life-giving? She smiled and told me shyly that she, get this, she loved it. That's the word she used, loved. However, a church leader, an equipper, had recently insinuated that if she was really following the call of God for her life, she would pursue ministry full-time. I explained to her that she had chosen the perfect profession for a healer. Where else are you going to have access to people at their most vulnerable moments, I asked her. Where else do people need a touch? I mean, you're going to be with people and their families when they are sick and desperate, when things seem hopeless, and you're going to be able to carry your light there. I told her that she could pray for them, that people might actually invite her to do so. And even if it seemed that she couldn't, sometimes she could just do it silently and that her prayer would still work. I continued, I said, in the medicine and the technology you'll have access to, it's it's all God's anyway, and he has it there for you. After about 60 seconds of coaching her through this, she got it. She looked lighter. She began smiling again. She felt empowered and called. That's what vocation means. The root of the word vocal, it means to hear the voice, the calling over whatever you do. Now, too often we presume the only calling that happens and the only empowerment which follows occurs when we serve formally or informally with a title or a role or not inside the church walls. Well, my oldest girl, she recently graduated from high school. She's now about to finish her first year of, of college question, you know, is how will she know what to do with the next chapter of her life? Well, human wisdom says it, that's easy. Go get a job or go to school and earn your degree. But you think about it, what kind of job? What kind of degree? And, and is 18, 19 years old, 20 years old, 21, 22, is that really old enough to make lifelong decisions such as what you'll do with the rest of your life? The latest, latest stats I read suggested that the average adult changes careers a minimum of seven times in their lifetimes. That's, that's careers, not jobs, careers. That means they move into an entirely different skill set, more training, more things to learn, more things to know. Sometimes that happens because they're looking for more money to provide for a family. Other times, life situations, such as moving to a new city, dictate the transition. Many times... 
In fact, I think a lot of times people are just looking for fulfillment. So let's talk about that final one for a second, fulfillment. Doesn't it make sense that if you know your created design and if you know your spiritual gifts and if you realize that they, both of those, work anywhere in the world you go, doing anything you choose to do, wouldn't it make sense to lean into those as you seek your career? Even if you're mid-career right now and you're looking for a transition, you're looking just for hope and for a way to make your mark on the world, wouldn't it make sense to learn how your design, learn how the Lord has tooled you, and then move into that? As I began this talk, I quoted from Dan Miller's book, 48 Days to the Work You Love. In that book, he pushes people to pursue that voice, that calling. He reminds us that in the biblical mindset in which Jesus lived, there was no distinction as to who was called and who wasn't. Anyone can hear the voice and follow. Here's the quote again. Here's what he writes. There's a Hebrew word, avodah, from which come both the words work and worship. To the Hebrew man, his Thursday morning activities were just as much an expression of worship as being in the synagogue on the Sabbath. Nothing in Scripture depicts the Christian life as divided into sacred and secular parts. Rather, it shows a unified life, one of wholeness, in which everything we do is service to God, including our daily work, whatever that may be. Well, what does that look like? You know, what? How do you flesh that out? Well. If your created design is teaching and you have a heart for young children, that helps you orient towards the training you need, especially if you're someone who walks in the gift of prophecy and consistently speaks kingdom identity and godly destiny to people. See how that works? Uh, Sometimes when I communicate with people, I say something like this. "I, I didn't know I should get trained or educated in the area of my gifts. If God gifts me, then doesn't he just gift me? And the truth is, yeah, he does. But in the same way that pastors and teachers and other leaders focus on developing their unique gifts and callings, doesn't it make sense that in some way everyone in the body of Christ, no matter what it is that your unique spiritual calling is, that you would lean into that as well, no matter where that is in the world, no matter what career path it takes you to. And I think... The more I see it, the, the more I think it does. That, that's, I believe this is a small piece of what Paul meant when he said something like, work out your salvation in Philippians 2, 12 through 13. He wasn't suggesting that we should work for it, but he was communicating that there is so much for you and I to explore about what the Lord has done in us in the past, what he continues to do to us in the present, and what he wants to do through us in the future. Let me provide you with another example. Uh, for a season a few years ago, I taught some health classes at a nursing home in town. One of the nurses who used to set up the room and gather the attendees for me, she had the created design of mercy. Now remember, created design, I spoke about that in talk number 14, I believe. So you might want to rewind and hit that. She had a natural love for people along with the unique way of making them feel welcome. She loved elderly people. They were her passion. And she had the spiritual gift of discernment. Her unique makeup empowered her to see to sense, to feel at a deeper level what her patients were feeling. She helped them navigate the emotional distress of health concerns and the grief of watching their closest friends die during that final chapter of their own lives. Spiritual gifts, they emphatically do help you find your place in the world, just like that woman. So doesn't it make sense that 
if you know what God has created you to do, and if it works everywhere, that you should focus on that as much as possible. Remember, again, the spiritual gifts, the manifestations, the grace effects, the the, the, uh, ordained spaces and places for you to move, they are a unique way in which the Godhead works through each of us. So think about it for a moment. Just practically, some of the things that we've learned over several of these talks, the Number one, the truths that God outlines in Scripture in which we're to live, kind of this idea of instructional obedience, they are the same for each of us. There's not much differentiation there. The created design then, second of all, the seven bents that we see in Romans 12, that offers us a little bit of degree of differentiation because we start kind of breaking up into seven groups right then. But but this final area, number three, the area of our spiritual gifts, it offers us even more unique expression where we really start honing in who we are in these unique ways. Do you see that? Let me give you the fourth point, fourth observation for this talk, final one. Fourth of all, spiritual gifts are not instances in which the Holy Spirit takes over and controls you. Now, a lot of people get confused about this. They presume that when someone speaks in tongues, for instance, that the Holy Spirit takes over and does it for them. In actuality, they speak, but He speaks through them. Others use the notion that the Spirit is in control as an excuse to speak whenever and however they want. Now, for instance, a man with the gift of prophecy, he attended a church where I served. He he attended only for a few months. He believed that whenever the Lord gave him a message, it was his cue to immediately make his way to the stage and grab the microphone, regardless of what was happening in the service. The Lord is speaking through me. He always told me. And though he was consistently accurate and even encouraging with his words, his lack of sensitivity, it betrayed his immaturity. That's right, I use that word, immaturity. The gifts work even if we're not totally healthy and whole. In other words, what I'm saying is this. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, 32, that the spirit of the prophets is subject to the prophets. So right then he's saying that just because you have a prophetic word is the example he was using then, it doesn't mean that you have to just spontaneously, ecstatically say it. You can control it. In other words, the Holy Spirit doesn't take over anyone, causing them to lose control of their faculties when they use a more demonstrative gift any more than he takes over control of someone when they exercise hospitality, when they demonstrate mercy, or even teach a class. The Spirit is gentle. He works with us, not over us. And the Spirit graciously defers to the human leadership he's placed in the faith community. That means we often take turns expressing our gifts. As a gifted teacher, the Lord highlights new ideas and concepts to me constantly. When I hear someone else preach or share another piece of wisdom from the Word, the Spirit often reminds me of other things He's shown me, or even He shows me something new that they've not even said. Many times I think, wow, I wish I could tell them this thing He's showing me. But I don't, because at that moment, it's not my time to share. It's someone else's. And the reality is, I'm probably seeing those other things precisely because of what they've said. And so the Lord is using them really as a launch pad, as a springboard to take off and show me even then something new. And because of the abundance of the kingdom, we will always have more. All of us, whether it's prophecy, whether it's teaching, whether it's mercy, whether it's hospitality, whether it's giving, whatever your gift mix is, we will always have more than we can give away. 
True wisdom then includes knowing when to hold something close as well as when to share it. True humility includes an awareness that even though we may have something important and invaluable to give, the things that others are sharing in the moment are equally as supernatural and they're needed as well. And this may be their time to take public center stage, not ours. And since the kingdom defies time and space, there is no rush in the things of the Spirit. We're free to be present and to enjoy receiving what the Lord is doing in our midst, knowing that when we come together, we all always have something to give. 1 Corinthians 14, 26. Now, if you look in the show notes, here's what I've done. I've put a graphic where it just has, really it's just guardrails, spiritual gift guardrails, because here's, here's what I've said is, number one, spiritual gifts and natural gifts, created design, they're not the same thing. Natural gifts, first births, spiritual gifts, supernatural gifts, they come with the second birth. I've said number two, spiritual gifts, they're not the same as title, role, or position. You might have both and they might collide and fit, or you might have one and not the other, but they're not the same. Number three, spiritual gifts, they're not confined to the church. They're not even confined to just ministry. They work anywhere and everywhere. And number four, this, this was the important one, is you always remain in control of you. Now, a few minutes ago, I referenced Romans eleven twenty nine. That's the verse in which Paul encourages us with the reminder that, here, here it is, just straight from the scripture, the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. Again, that word gifts is charismata, charismata, grace effects. Now look at the word irrevocable. Some translations supply the word without repentance. They say that the gifts of God are without repentance instead of irrevocable. Um, the literal meaning of amatel malata, amatel malata, okay? That's the Greek word. It really means without regret. I like that translation, without regret. Here's why. I, I used to read that verse, and I used to think, oh, man, once God gives us the gift, he can't take it away. He's stuck. Now, I don't read the passage like that at all. I, I don't see it at all as God being stuck with us, that these gifts are without repentance or that they're irrevocable. He can't take it back. Rather, I see it that they're without regret. I see it as a dear father who doesn't change his mind. Whereas many of us have been taught to believe in God, we learn through verses like this, as well as through stories like Peter's that I referenced way back in the beginning of this series. You might just want to rewind and re-listen to his story where I talked about God believing in you. That's what we see here. God doesn't just want us to believe in him. He believes in us. And as such, he gifts us with his very presence so that he might work with us, that we might work with him so that he can move through us to love and express his love to his people in tangible ways. Do you see that? So my prayer for you is that the Lord blesses you, that he keeps you, that his grace just overwhelms you, and that here's what I want you to see, that there's something supernatural that he wants to do through you, and may you see that this is going to exceed anything that naturally you could do on your own. In fact, that's why he's given you this gift, is to exceed beyond what your human capacity is. May you release the, the idea that regardless of the titles or roles that you have or don't have, that he still wants to do that work through you. And may you have clear eyes, supernatural vision, 
to see beyond the walls of the church, to see into your neighbors, to see into your workplace, to see into your neighborhood, to see into your sports team, to see into the places where you do your hobbies, where you do the other things that you do, to see the people that are there. And may when the time is right, may you allow the Lord to express himself through you to those people. Grace, peace. Until next time, shalom.